You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, we've been on something of a hiatus over the Easter period due to holidays and such like. But given that there's a fair amount going on in politics at the moment, I think it's fair to say we're back this week to talk over the outcome of the local elections last week and also to look ahead to the European elections that are coming up and what that might mean for Brexit and also the future of the main political parties. And as ever, I'm joined by fellow podcaster Leo Barassi. Leo, welcome. Hello, Kieran. So let's get the uh, the important business out of the way, shall we? Um, I mean, sorry to non-football fans, but it looks like the um, polling matters derby's coming up, Leo, doesn't it? Or what, what, what else do you call it, the Champions League final? Well, mate, I mean, we've been pretty bad at uh, predicting stuff that's going to happen uh, over the last couple of years. So I figured why not continue the trend and uh, assume that Liverpool were going to go out to Barcelona, Spurs were going to get hammered to Ajax and be proved wrong once again. It's a, it's a beautiful feeling. Um, let's just hope that the uh, football establishment falls to the plucky North London rebels uh, in, in, in Madrid. But uh, let's, let's, let's see. Um, we're not going to talk too much about that because I know some listeners uh, don't really care. But let's talk about the local elections. So um, I'll, I'll throw some numbers at you, um, Leo. So um, I've got the, the key results up. Let's, let's look at councillors rather than councils. So in terms of councillors, the Tories, probably the biggest story of the night, losing more than 1,300. So the numbers I have here, 1,330 net loss for the Tories. Um significantly above even the worst predictions. I think Lord Hayward um, had them losing 800 and Rawlins and Frasher had them losing considerably less. So they they, they massively um, um, did much worse than what was predicted. Meanwhile, Labour lose 84. Liberal Democrats gain 705 councillors, um, albeit from a low base, which we'll come to. The Greens did well, plus 194. Um, UKIP down 145. And then others, lots of independents here, up 660. And I suppose we'll talk, we'll talk a bit about what that means for councils and things and the areas where um, different parties did well and badly. But I mean, just on the sort of scorecard from England, um, what was your perspective of that? So I think one of the challenges here is working out which measure we want to look at, because I think there is a problem, certainly with comparing it with our expectations. So uh, I really try and avoid, and I think it is, it's always a good idea to avoid saying they did better than expected or worse than expected, because largely what you're comparing there is either how good your predictions were or how good the expectation management was. So don't think that's great. And then trying to compare it on changes with 2015. Well, there is, I think, legitimately a problem with that because 2015 was a general election time. So it was perhaps an unusual turnout. So uh, it's hard to know how far changes uh, on that reflects the fact that different uh, sets of the electorate are going to turn out uh, on a on a day where there isn't a general election. So I guess in terms of the measure that, that I want to look at, I, th- I think the... Um, uh, one is the the national uh, projected national vote share, um, where the two main parties were pretty much joint um, and somewhat ahead of the Lib Dems. Um, and the other is the change on last time, where I think the parties were each doing diff- uh, somewhat differently, change on last time and change on uh, the 2018 local elections as well. So, I mean, if we look at some of that, um, just to add, add some more uh, meat to the bones, as it were, on the, on the councils... Um, I think this gives a good illustration of where we are politically in the country, right? So the Tories lost control of 44 councils. Um, 36 of those councils were lost to no overall control. Uh, The NOC party did rather well, uh, gaining 37 councils um, 
in total in the local elections. Obviously, that means uh, no overall control. Um, I know there is no such thing as a no of no, any NOC party. Um, Labour lost six councils. Lib Dems gained ten. Seven of them from the Conservatives. And as I say, um, no over, no overall control in lots of areas. I mean, for me, the big message that I took out of it was just the um, collapse in support or relative collapse in support for both both main parties. Yes, it was clearly much worse for the Tories. I don't think we should um, sugarcoat that in terms of number of councillors lost. But um, it seems to back up the polls, doesn't it? I mean, we, the polls have been showing both main parties losing support. That's clearly evident here from the Lib Dems, Greens and independents going up. Yeah, it absolutely does in terms of loss of support for the main parties. But I think the other side of what you just said is uh, is that the Lib Dems and uh, to a lesser extent, but still strikingly, the Greens did very well, which obviously isn't reflected in the national polls. So there is something somewhat different there. Um, I think people are clearly voting in a way that isn't yet being reflected, if it ever will be, in what they're saying in voting intent for Westminster elections. Sure, but then, I mean, local elections and Westminster elections, different animals, aren't they? I mean, we saw that in 2017. Well, right, yeah. And, well, yeah, yeah I guess I'm slightly pausing because your 2017 analogy, um, uh, obviously that was the point where the 2017 local elections made it look like the Tories were on course for a pretty comfortable victory in the general election, which obviously didn't happen. But is that because the local elections were a bad predictor or is it because the campaign for the general election changed things in a way that was unusual? Hard to know. Yeah, take, uh, you can take your choices on that one. I mean, let's talk a bit about the Lib Dems then. So what do we make of this? Because um, I was struck by a piece by Stephen Bush earlier this week, which uh, sort of said essentially that, you know, Change UK, the independent group, um, have to deal with a new reality now, which is that the Lib Dems aren't just going away. Um, all the things that um, Lib Dems like Mark Pack, who I know is a listener to this podcast, have been saying um, have come true to some to some degree in the sense that the Lib Dems do have this local activist base, this infrastructure, um, this this sort of heritage in certain parts of the country, such as the Southwest, um, and they're able to um, to leverage that and sort of get back to, if not where they were, at least show signs of a recovery. Um, I mean, what do we make of that? Is it just you know they're profiting as they have done historically on just being not being none of the above? So I think there's two different ways of looking at it. I think uh, the first is just the sheer fact that we're saying this is in itself significant that um, the kind of the analysis creates the facts on the ground. So if the Lib Dems had had a mediocre set of results or, or relatively poor set of results, then I think uh, it would reinforce the view that they're a waning force and that Change UK or some other um, pro-Remain forces is set to to overtake them. The fact that we're now talking about the hashtag Lib Dem fight back and um, generally seeing them as doing better than expected. And again, I think it's the relative to the expectations are important. Mm. That fact um, does, uh, does, I think, change it and change the reality and changes how they're treated by the media and um, probably treated by um, the electorate as well. Um, but the other point that I think is quite striking. Um, John Curtis did a, a nice analysis of the results looking at uh, looking at how the various parties did, broken down by the wards, um, uh, uh, categorised by leave, the strength of leave or remain. And he compared it both with how they did compared with four years ago and how they did compared with last year. And I think that's useful because it's able to show us how far the performance now it's the result of stuff that the parties have done in the last year, which I think we've got to 
assume was it's principally about Brexit because that really has dominated politics in the last year, or how far what we're seeing is is the result of slightly longer longer running trends, um, and and so perhaps less specifically about Brexit. And I think the thing that struck me for the Lib Dems is actually their sort of their their improved performance, uh, particularly amongst um, more Remainy or in more Remainy wards, uh, does actually seem to be more the case compared with um, four years ago, rather than relative to last year. So I think there's an argument that can be made here that what's going on for the Lib Dems is more of a general feeling of of them as an alternative to the main parties. Um, as as a probably centre-left party that isn't Labour and isn't Corbyn's party, rather than specifically tying it into Brexit. Now, I think that's that's a reasonably strong uh, conclusion to take from a fairly sparse amount of data, uh, and I think it could be challenged. But I guess the thing to that I certainly take from reading that is we shouldn't just jump on the assumption that the Lib Dems' performance is because of their um, they're quite anti-Brexit stands. It might be that they're doing well uh, once again as as a protest party and alternative to the, to the two mains, which makes complete sense in a time where the main parties and their leaders are historically unpopular. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I've been banging on about on this podcast for some time that the two main parties and their leaders, particularly Jeremy Corbyn, are extremely unpopular. So um, I, I don't want to to call them a sort of none of the above party is maybe a bit harsh. I don't know. I don't mean it to come across that way, but the Lib Dems have always profited where they have been able to be that and have a wedge issue, for want of a better phrase, that they can leverage. So it used to be tuition fees and uh, the Iraq war, and it's been other things, in the, but further back. Um, but now maybe Brexit is the is the issue that they can capitalize on but actually it's not just about that they're, they're in many ways they're the party that change uk want to be aren't they they're they're not just about one issue um but they have this issue that at least helps define them in a policy sense um it creates a real problem for the, the tiggers doesn't it i mean ultimately they they were hoping that the lib dems would sort of fade now they've got to contend with the fact that that doesn't seem to be happening um so i mean are we, are we gonna are we gonna see tig just sort of assumed into the Lib Dems in one way or another in the future, do you think? Well, I think it's it's hard to, hard to be totally confident. And I think there's a danger of punditry over-responding to, to events and overcompensating the other way. So I'd be cautious of saying that. I think right now their position is, I'm sure, not what they hoped uh, in that uh, they're now seen as having to compete with the Lib Dems. I guess what they've now got to do in the, the European election is, uh, I think this is the point that Stephen Bush made, is show that they can take votes that aren't just Lib Dem votes, that they're they're able to to win support from uh, uh, current Tory voters, from current Labour voters. Uh, I don't think that they're showing massive signs of success in doing that, but um, I certainly don't think that just a few months after they launched and after only one set of uh, uh, of elections that, of course, they weren't competing in, um, we should say that they need to be written off. Mm. I mean, I have to say, people, I mean, I'm often in the minority when I say this, but I'll repeat what I've said before. I mean, I, I do think that part of the problem that Change UK dash the independent group have is that, that it's just very hard to, to understand 
what they're for. I mean, you know, you and I can debate it on this podcast. I'm sure lots of politicos are listening to this and, you know, we can all have a good stab at saying, well, you know, they're um, kind of Cameroon Tories and Blairite Labour coming together in a third way and all the rest of it. But that doesn't really mean very much to your average voter, does it? And I've often said that I think they should have branded themselves as something along the lines of the Remain Party. Uh, for reasons that we'll come to, I think it's a very clear message. I understand the potential limitations of that message, maybe. Um, but if you're trying to get off the ground and develop some kind of brand for what you are and, and where you stand on issues, that wouldn't have been a bad start. And I know I know that like, if you were to call yourself the Remain Party, that, that implies you're finished if Brexit happens and so on. Um, what's your name if Brexit happens and you want to rejoin? All of that sort of stuff. But I don't know, I, I feel like increasingly the, the term remain and leave is meaning more than just the constitutional status or, of our relationship with Europe. I think there's it, they can often mean shorthands for other things that are cultural as well. Um, and I think that would have been a better shorthand, certainly than change UK, which doesn't really mean very much. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I've definitely argued the point that you're referring to there, that um, if that they weren't stupid, they recognised that calling themselves Change UK was something that, sorry, calling themselves the Remain Party was something that they could have done um, and they chose not to. Mm. And we've got to assume that that's because they decided that it was going to be uh, too limiting. It was sound like a, 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 a one, uh, one issue party. But I mean, you do just have to look at, at the party we haven't talked about yet, the Brexit party, to show that... Um, once you have an individual who has sufficient name recognition or you're generally sufficiently well-known to the voters that you can change the name of your party effectively uh, by forming a new a new one or whatever um, and then change the thing that you're known for and you can suddenly emerge and bring your your personal brand with you. So, um, yeah, perhaps, uh, perhaps actually the right thing for them to have done in this context would have been to, to be called the Remain Party, try and get 25-30% in European elections, maybe even more than that, uh, mm. who knows, and then uh, on the back of that say, okay, We've done this. We fought this campaign. Now it's time for us to to relaunch as um, the movement for change or whatever. Yeah, you know, you know what that's coming out. Um, what what that's what that's coming out of. It just it just feels to me like a bit like I'm not a Formula One fan, but so this is going to butcher uh, an analysis uh, for people that listen to this that are. But it's a bit like a sort of car company, a, a sort of one of the racing car um, companies. Um, trying to mess about with their steering wheel or their or, or they're kind of finessing their um, tires or whatever when the engine's wrong you know like ultimately it's all very well saying well if we if we, if we call ourselves the remain party we're never going to get into government it's like well hang on a minute i mean maybe maybe survive for two years first before you start thinking you're going to be on marsh um uk or something like that but you mentioned the brexit party there leo let's uh um you use a seamless segue to talk a bit about the european parliament elections um it's never really a segue, though, if you say it, though, is it? Um, but I was looking at some of the uh, I was looking at some of the um, the polling on this surge in support for the Brexit Party. I mean, YouGov are doing most of the polling, but Salvation and Opinion and, and Comres have uh, numbers as well. Um, YouGov's most recent polls have the Brexit Party touching thirty percent. In fact, one of them is, they are on thirty percent. One of them they're on twenty eight. They're certainly leading, both. which is remarkable for a new party, right? It's like you know, that's, I'm I'm, that's I'm surprised. I, I, I am surprised. Again, I, I think it, it goes back to what... I, it's kind of reinforced what I thought before about the idea of a Remain party. Before, I I kind of thought that and tweeted it, and then I sort of took the point that other people made in response. But when I've seen the, the sheer success in such a short space of time, and it can't just, just be about the name. It's also about Farage and all the rest of it. But 
I feel like the name is relevant to that conversation. People know exactly what they're ticking, I think, when, when they go into the, the polling booth. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're touching 30% with YouGov. Um, let me see. But then there we're on 27 with Salvation, 28 with Opinion. Although with Salvation and Opinion's uh, less recent polls of a couple of weeks old, um, they're tying with Labour. YouGov have Labour much weaker um, so I guess the, the share, the Labour share of the vote is going to be the interesting one. And I think that poll watchers should keep an eye out for others beyond YouGov and what numbers they're producing for Labour. Not because YouGovs are wrong or anything, but just because um, YouGovs do seem to have settled into a pattern where Labour's in the low 20s, whereas others have Labour a bit higher than that. Um, and, if, you know, we want to get a fuller picture with different pollsters, don't we, to see what people are saying. But nevertheless, um, the Brexit party um, doing very well. I mean, what are we looking out for in these elections, Leo? Because, I mean, for me, the, the, the narrative will be, I suppose, if the Brexit party wins um, and the Tories do very badly, that's going to have a very hu- very strong impact on Theresa May's future and where the Tory party goes um, goes from here, isn't it? And that feels like the main <laughs> outcome, but then there are, there are others. So, yeah, I mean, one one thing to, to bear in mind is that in that most recent YouGov poll that you you were just talking about, there was a poll of both that asked both Westminster voting intention and European Parliament voting intention. And um, the Brexit party got exactly twice uh, the voting intention for European election, 30 rather than 15. Um, and Labour got uh, did a lot better in, for Westminster, 29 versus 21. And the Tories did, again, vastly better in Westminster, 29 versus 13. So um, I think I I mentioned that because I think it's a point that we should just sort of manage the inevitable slight overexcitement that that will happen with um, the Brexit party uh, probably winning this. uh, I think what we're seeing there is that people are quite consciously choosing a different party, many people are, for the European elections rather than Westminster because they presumably are seeing this as elections as an opportunity to send a specific signal about Brexit. And there's less, so, of, there's less of them as well, right? You know, turnout's going to be less in the European elections than it would be in a general election too, right? So, uh, Yeah, that's true, though. I wonder what how YouGov treated that uh, in their poll. Uh, not sure. Um, but um, I guess my point is, uh, the Tories doing very badly in the election will, I'm sure, be treated as a message that they are ready for a Westminster wipeout. But we've literally seen in this specific poll people saying, I'd vote Brexit party, but I would still vote Tory. Presumably, there's, um, that's that's what's often happening. So uh, there's a danger of it being slightly overinterpreted. But um, nonetheless, I mean, I think the... I mean, it's clear that we're heading towards a trend of the Tories being eviscerated in the poll of the Brexit party probably winning. Um, I think what we're much less clear about is where the uh, Remain parties plus Labour, wherever they stand, uh, are going to to end up. So if we look at Labour, Change UK, Lib Dems and Green, uh, they are in that most recent poll and on the a majority, rate- aren't they? Of. Yeah, they're on the majority. Um, I think if you uh, actually, I think that would be forty-nine if you added those four together. But you could add SNP implied and just get the majority. Yeah. Um, but sorry, yeah, I meant um, the Remain parties overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if you add, but those are on a range of nine to twenty-one with the with Labour pretty comfortably in the lead with uh, with twenty-one. Now, I've got to say, I don't instinctively believe that that is either true of what would happen with a vote tomorrow or what's going to happen when people actually go to the polls. I'm just not convinced that Labour are going to do 
as well as 21 and the Lib Dems are going to do as badly as 10, I think that gap is going to be much smaller and possibly to the point where the Lib Dems finish ahead of Labour. Ooh, Lib Dems ahead of Labour. That's a big shout. I mean, ha- so I'm not, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but uh, I certainly don't believe there's going to be anything like Labour beating Lib Dems by, by 11 points. I just don't see when people are thinking about this as uh, when leavers are seeing this as uh, opportunity to hit the Tories on Brexit why Labour with their position that I know people are now increasingly saying it's not ambiguous, but I don't think that the voters um, see it as uh, as unambiguous. Um, and in fact, we know that because um, YouGov's poll had uh, asking where the party stands on whether they're pro or anti-Brexit had 13% saying pro-Brexit for Labour, 42% saying anti-Brexit and 45% not giving an opinion. So um I guess Labour is Labour's position is nominally pro Brexit now. Only thirteen percent of people actually think that. So, anyway, when when voters are seeing this election as a opportunity to cast a vote on Brexit, uh, I really struggle to see the unambiguously anti-Brexit parties doing much worse than Labour, as the polls currently suggest. Well, a little, a little nugget in one of the YouGov polls, actually, is that in the terms of the European elections, um, there seems to be a bit more enthusiasm on the Remain side. So 58% of Remain voters say they're 10 out of 10 certain to vote versus 50% of Leave voters. So you've got this interesting um, juxtaposition where the Brexit party looks highly likely to win, um, but by taking about 30% of the vote, at least at the moment. And then actually, as we referenced a moment ago, if you sum up all the quote-unquote Remain parties, and I guess Labour is the fly in the ointment here, like how do you how do you class them? But if you stick them in the Remain column, you do have a majority for Remain. And, and that, does, that does echo a lot of the... Um, and we talked on this podcast before about the problems with uh, horse race uh, voting intention on a second referendum for lots of reasons. Um it does sort of echo that a lot of those uh, remain versus leave polls these days that have remain in the lead as well. But I, I just suspect that that won't be the narrative, will it? I mean, I hate you. Well, well, not not least because I just don't think that you can plausibly call Labour a, uh, a pro-remain party. Mm, I mean, yeah. It's, it's quite clear that its first choice is to have a Brexit that it likes. Now, you might uh, that might be considered you a unicorn, uh, but nonetheless, it is ostensibly a party that wants to pass brexit yeah so i don't i don't think that it can plausibly be established as a narrative that remain parties will have had a majority if that majority relies on labor let's finish with the tories um obviously we t- we spoke at the beginning of this program losing 1300 councillors and we can talk about the expectation game and all the rest of it but objectively a terrible set a, a set of local election results um, for them clearly going to get a bit of a hammering in the um, european elections um uh, some of these numbers have more than half of the Tory vote from 2017, uh, general election vote that is, voting for the Brexit party um, in these European elections. So huge numbers there, uh, at least the ones that are going to vote. Where do they go from here? To be honest, it feels like the sort of slow drumbeat march to a pretty hard Brexiter, maybe either explicitly wanting no deal or at least advocating it. Um, so you can imagine Boris Johnson saying, let's just get out in October. Um, you know, we're, we're going to leave with no deal. But then at the same time, um, there's all these considerations around how the Tory leader is chosen, who will MPs go for and so forth. Will no deal get through Parliament? Um, I want to talk about the Tories, but, but also it's like it's the first time I can see how Brexit doesn't happen on the basis that there's a, there's a general election. 
in in the autumn because of a uh, new Tory leader comes in, wants no deal, can't get it through Parliament, election happens, and there's some sort of like minority Labour government that requires the support of other parties that will demand a second referendum to pass a Queen's speech. Bosh, there you go. That's your second referendum. It's the first... I've alluded to it before, but it's the first... I'm starting to say see now, for the first time, how this whole thing doesn't happen, which is ironic, really, because it's the Brexit party that seems to be doing very well. But um, anyway, taking a step back from that, is it inevitable now that you know, Theresa May's done and she just, just we just end up with a sort of hard Brexit leader like Boris Johnson or Raab or someone like that? Uh, well, I think we've got to treat those two different things differently. Is it inevitable that she's done? Yes. But when when is she done... Uh, God knows. Um, you know, we we would have said it was notable she was done six months ago. She's still here. Um, you know, I suppose people are generally saying the the range of debate seems to be: Will she still be here for Tory Party conference or not? Mm. Rather than will she still be here by the end of the year? So, yes, it seems like everyone thinks she's going in the next few months, whatever that means. Um, is it inevitable that a Brexiteer, a hard Brexiteer, a No Deal Brexiteer? Um, or take over? No, I don't think you can possibly say it's inevitable with that. I think the size of the field is such that it would be crazy to try and predict um, who can come through. I think um, the number of votes that individual MPs will get in the first few ballots will be so small that you could see some big names dropping out because they just happens not to get enough support. So um, I think there'll be a vast amount of tactical voting from different factions in the party. There'll be a, a huge amount of uh, groups attempting to engineer their favoured candidate or their favourite wing uh, towards the final ballot by voting tactically. And I think in that context, you just don't know um, mm. whether it's going to be whether there's going to be an ERG on the final ballot, whether it's going to be an ERG around Boris Johnson or or what. It's just almost impossible to tell. But then when you look at the no confidence vote that Theresa May had, what was it before Christmas? Um, I forget the explicit figures, but it was something in the region of like two to one, wasn't it? Um, in, in, in her favour at that time. Um, I think it was around 100. Uh, I'd pass on that. I, I, I'd have to dig out the numbers. But, but the point being that w- what struck me was that it, uh, if those um, no, no confidence voters had uh, acted as en masse, then it should be fairly straightforward for them to get a Johnson or a Raab or, dare I say, an Andrea Leadsom or someone like that. Um, well, they need they need more than one third, right, to uh, to get someone onto the final ballot. Um, do they? I guess. Yeah, because you need you just need to have you get down to the last two. So as long as you've got thirty three percent plus one, then you can't be beaten by two other parties by two other candidates. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, but I mean, it just feels particularly with the narrative of the Brexit Party doing very well um, in the European elections, um, and we know that the at least from con home polls, which aren't the most representative, of course, but are at least the best sort of straw poll we have available at, at the moment that the membership seems keen on a um the, the more the more brexity candidate seems likely to win um who knows yeah probably i mean i think we've just got to focus for now on uh who gets through to the last two um you know and i do i i think there is there's a potential problem for a uh a sort of a, a semi-hard brexiter um that if you're if you're positioning yourself as uh, I really, really believe in Brexit, but I'm not quite ERG. Um, let's say you're Boris Johnson, then 
I think there's a there's a real danger there that the ERGs will want purity mm. and the people who can't couldn't couldn't live with hard, with no deal Brexit w- will want someone who won't go for that. And then I think there's a risk that the sort of the people who position themselves as a sort of slightly more moderate version of the ERG could just fall fall through the middle and not get that that thirty three. Plus I, mean, I mean, to be fair, I said a minute ago how if the ERG has acted as one, um, they'd get on the ballot. But of course, we know they're not acting as one because some of them have ended up back in Theresa May's deal and some of them um, haven't. So watch sure. watch this space, I suppose. But that's all we've got time for this week's uh, Polling Matters podcast. Big thanks to Leo for joining me as ever. Um, if you like what you hear, do please share us on social media and elsewhere. Tell a friend about us. Give us a positive rating on iTunes and other podcast apps. Um, we very much appreciate it. But we are looking to get a bit more regular in the next few weeks. Um, we've had a few weeks off, as I said, for holidays and things. But don't never fear. We are back and we will be doing some regular podcasts in the inevitable polling fun to follow. But for now, thanks for listening.